The Franciscan Friars of the Atonement present the Ave Maria Hour. Hello, this is Father Bob Warren of the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. Thank you for listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour radio show. The Friars' popular Ave Maria Hour was first brought to the radio airwaves in 1939, recorded in New York City and on the mountainside grounds at Graymore, a home in Garrison, New York. These timeless classic stories of the Bible and the lives of the saints came to life each week through dramatic reenactment by professional actors and actresses. You know, friends, Christ once said, do not hide your treasure under a bushel. In saying this, he meant share your gifts, share your talents. The Friars of the Atonement feel the message in these broadcasts remains as powerful and timely as when they were originally aired, and we are so happy to be able to share them with you today. To learn more about the missions and ministries of the Friars of the Atonement, I invite you to visit our website, www.atonementfriars.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour. Saint Sabinus. During the reign of Diocletian, Christianity had been expanding for three centuries. And because of the enormous difference in morality between the pagan Greek or Roman religions, it had become a very disturbing influence. However, Diocletian's opposition to the newer religion was motivated by political expediency more than by spiritual considerations. From his talks with Venustian, governor of Etruria, Sabinus the bishop could see that serious trouble was ahead for the church. Sabinus, I'm afraid that unless there's a change of attitude, you Christians are headed for serious trouble. Thank you, Venustian. By change of attitude, you mean, of course, the Christians in the empire must swear allegiance to pagan gods. In the end, that's what it amounts to. And you know that is impossible. As spiritual leader of my people, I must forbid it. Well, I'm sorry to hear you say this. But regardless of my personal views, I must carry out Diocletian's edicts. I understand your position. I hope you can understand mine. Well, it's not a question of you and I understanding each other's position, but that of the emperor. I don't know what is happening to the emperor. So far, he's been tolerant. It's well known that his wife and daughter are favorably inclined to Christianity. First, he's determined to unify the empire. Second, he's under tremendous pressure from his son-in-law, Galerius. Who has a fanatical hatred for Christianity. Well, considering his mother was a priestess, the reason is obvious. Christianity, you might say, has hurt her business and that of other priests. However, this doesn't seem to weigh heavily with Diocletian. Then why should he persecute us? Political and security reasons. What are these political and 
security reasons. Consider the position of the Empire. All around are threatening hordes of barbarians waiting for the opportunity to destroy our traditional gods. But, Governor, the gods of the Roman Empire... Bear with me, Sabinus. In your opinion, our gods are false. But that does not make them so. They've served Rome well. Isn't it then necessary once and for all to defend these gods and save Rome from ruin? These gods will avail you nothing at the day of reckoning. I will not go into that kind of a discussion. I want you to know how the wind is blowing so that you can set your sails accordingly. Please continue. Forgive my interruption. In this 300-year period, the Christians have grown in number, and there's somewhere between 20 and 30 million in the empire. Now, you will admit that's a rather high percentage. Doesn't that speak well for the faith the people have in Christ? Now, look at the other side of the coin. That within the empire, there are millions who don't believe in the gods of Rome. And you and Diocletian believe this is dangerous? Decidedly. Our position would be much stronger if these millions would return to the worship of our ancient gods. The empire would be more compact, and our resistance to the barbarians much stronger. These are the arguments Galerius used to sway Diocletian? This is Diocletian's thinking. Galerius plays upon it to get his way. Has the emperor considered how much weaker his empire will be if he destroys the millions of Christians? Many who now hold public office, thousands who are in the army, defending the empire against the barbarians. Galerius has had trouble with Christians in the army. Because he demanded that they swear allegiance to pagan gods. He gave a lawful command and they refused to obey. But did they ever refuse to fight against the enemies of Rome? Well... No, not to my knowledge. The record of our Christians in the army is good. They fight to defend their homes and their nation. No, that wasn't the point at issue. No. Galerius ordered them to renounce their faith. This was a command no true Christian could obey. Well, the fact remains the fighting force on the frontier was weakened and the empire endangered. That's what concerns Diocletian. Now, it's my opinion Galerius will have his way. But no edict has yet been issued. No. Now, the last word was that Diocletian was consulting the oracle of Apollo at Miletus. Uh, pending the result, we may have a uh, moderate policy of Diocletian or a severe policy of Galerius. What would Galerius advocate? In his own words, all those who refuse to make sacrifice will be burnt alive. I thank you for this warning, Venustian. And I hope you will preach to your people and tell them how to avoid bloodshed. I shall prepare them for the edict. And prepare yourself first, Sabinus. I am prepared now. You'll obey? I shall not make sacrifice to a pagan god. I had hoped for a different answer. Did you? Really? Hoped for, not expected. Well, much to my regret, I fear that in a short time you and I will be at war. The Oracle of Apollo, forewarned about the desire of Galerius and aware of his increasing influence, sent back the soothsayer with a decision hostile to the Christians. An edict was drawn up and sent to all parts of the empire. Hear ye! Hear ye! Attention to the edict of the Emperor Diocletian, effective as of this reading. One. 
all Christians will be stripped of all their privileges and be subject to chastisement. Two, they are forbidden to defend themselves on any charge in the public courts or to make official complaints of injuries, adultery, or theft. An invitation for the mobs to mistreat and rob us. Be silent. Three, Christians who are slaves lose the right of emancipation. Four, the churches will be demolished and all books and writings burned. Deacon, run to the church and tell them to hide the books. Yes, at once, Alka. Oh, look. Look, it's too late. They've already fired the church. Run. Run. Save what we can. I thought it best to have my soldiers destroy the church while you were all listening to the edict. Now it begins. One who would destroy a faith first burns the house in which it dwells. Only as a warning as to what will come next. Churches can be rebuilt. Yes, Sabinus. And books can be rewritten. Of course, you'll tell me that faith is something carried in one's heart. And I'll agree with you. But you know as well as I that the first move against the man is made against his property. If that doesn't bring him around, well, you know the next move. Only too well. So why not avoid bloodshed and death, which is sure to follow, if this edict doesn't prove as effective as Galerius wishes? Lucian, look at those smoldering ruins. Why do you suppose the flames have completely burned themselves out? Obviously because there's nothing more for them to feed on. So it will be with Galerius's hatred. It will burn out when there are no more Christians to feed it. Sabinus, if you have no regard for your own life, you still have a moral obligation to your flock, as you refer to your people. I was never more aware of it than now. They'll be guided by you. Have you the right to ask them to make martyrs of themselves? Oh, I can understand men dying in defense of their homes or their loved ones, but to die for the sake of an intangible belief is utter foolishness. Lucian, I really believe you are trying to save my life. The lives of many. I hate these persecutions, and I want to head them off. But how can I, without laying myself open to a charge of treason against my emperor? If you regard the emperor as your god, then you must obey him in all things. So be it. The burning of the books in churches was a clever move on the part of the persecutor. For it became a matter of honor for Christians to save their sacred scriptures, even at the cost of their lives. It became apparent that stronger measures would have to be enacted to break the back of Christianity. Accordingly, in 303, Galerius pressured Diocletian to issue two additional edicts. Sabinus, they're coming this way. Hadn't we better run for it? On the contrary, we shall go to meet them. Come. All will follow me. Sabinus, you and your deacons are under arrest. What is the charge? Under the edict of February 24th, all Christians lost their privileges, including that of making complaint in the courts. Since I no longer enjoy civil rights, I must submit to the arrest. I arrest you by edict of the emperor. 
It consists of two parts. One, all heads of churches shall be imprisoned. I'm ready to go. There's a second provision which will be of interest to you. Heads of churches will be granted freedom if they will sacrifice to the gods. All those who refuse will be submitted to whatever tortures the local official deems fit. You want my decision, Venustian? Not now. In prison, you'll have time to think things over. Sabinus and the two deacons were put in prison for several days, during which time they prayed and made their peace with God. Fearing the outcome, Venustian delayed as long as possible in making the final test of Sabinus' tenacity. No doubt he was troubled, but he knew the longer he hesitated, the harder it would be to act, and so ordered that Sabinus be led from prison and in the presence of a large crowd make his veneration. Sabinus, are you prepared to make your decision in regard to the edict recently declared by the emperor? I am. I hand you this statue of Jupiter. Take it, I insist. Very well. You will hold the statue aloft and venerate it. Then you may go free. I hold aloft this statue as you command, Governor. Here is my veneration. So, you've broken the statue. Very well. Soldier, draw your sword. Sabinus, hold out your two hands. Clasp them together. I hereby order that the hands with which you hurled the statue of Jupiter to the stone be cut off. Soldier, strike. Down! Two deacons, Marcellus and Exuperantius, also refused to venerate Jupiter, and they were scourged and put on the rack and tormented until dead. The mutilated Sabinus was taken back to prison and was cared for by his fellow prisoners, many of whom were pagan. Venustian returned to his palace and many times asked himself why it was he had not put Sabinus to death as he had the two deacons. Why didn't he hand it back to me or refuse to take it as had so many others? The impulsive thing would have been to behead him on the spot myself. Instead, I punished merely the hands that had committed the act, not the will that prompted it. Therein is the clue. Compromise between my anger, my fear, not fear of him, no. No, of something else. I'm afraid of the one in whom these Christians believe was sent to save mankind. I am afraid of their God. About this time, a cut an event that had a profound effect on Venustian. A widow named Serena would come to the prison each day and beg permission to see Sabinus. When Venustian learned of this, he had her brought before him. <laughs> 
I'm told you pester the guards every day to let you see Sabinus. Yes, Your Excellency. Why do you wish to see him? Because of my son, who is blind. Blind? How did this begin? He was born that way. So you wish to see Sabinus because of your son? Why? To ask him to cure him. What? Oh, I see. You're a Christian who somehow has escaped our dragnet. No, Excellency. But each day since my son was born, I've asked Jupiter and all the other gods to cure him, and nothing has happened. Do you really believe this Christian god can cure your son? It would do no harm to ask. I've heard strange stories of the man they worship, this Christ. Where did you hear this? I work in a tavern where soldiers gather, many of them Christians. That is, before they were purged from the army. I can't help overhearing talk. Yes, yes, go on. They would read from their sacred book and tell how their Christ healed the blind, the sick, and even brought the dead back to life. Granting all this to be true, what makes you think their God would help one not of their faith? It's told that... One of their renowned preachers, one Paul, didn't believe and persecuted the Christians. Then their God sent the light to him, and he became a follower. Foolish woman, granting all this, that this Christ had the power to heal. He's been dead many centuries. If he ever had the power, it died with him. It's told that those who preached his gospel carried his power with them. Do many people know you've asked to see Sabinus? Many, but not because of me, Excellency. Crowds would gather when the guards cuffed me and sent me away, and they would jeer and tell the people why I had come. Woman, I am going to permit you to see Sabinus and take your son with you. Oh, the gods be praised. My gratitude will be... Silence. I do this so the people may see how foolish you are and how powerless Sabinus is to do anything for you. You may withdraw. I tell this woman it's a test to convince them of folly. But it's hope. A senseless hope. A grasping at a straw. For years your eyes have been afflicted and you're afraid you'll soon be blind yourself. That's why you had the woman brought here and plied her with questions you would ask yourself. If there was not this hope, you would have had her flogged. Venustian, the governor, can't put Sabinus to the test, but a foolish woman can. Sabinus? Yes? Woman, why have you come here? This is my son. Here, Marius, this way. Now stand. Sabinus is before you. Your son is blind. Since birth. Mother, is this the man you said could cure my blindness? Yes, my son. Then why is he in prison? Hush, son, hush. Don't let him know the truth. I'm in prison with my hands cut off because I refuse to venerate a graven image and to acknowledge it as my God. 
Mother believes you can cure my blindness. Not I, but Christ. Let's go, Mother. Everyone knows Christ died hundreds of years ago. No, no, son. Don't you remember I told you the power lives on in those who believe? Oh, good Sabinus. Pay no attention to him. He's but a boy. His blindness has destroyed all hope. But not his mother. I'm a woman of little learning, and I don't know the merits of the great dispute now raging. But I have eyes, and when I see people die for an unseen God in whom they believe, I can't help but wonder at this great mystery. And I say to myself, how wonderful it must be to believe in something even more precious than one's own life. I say, Serena, if you know more about this mystery, you too may become like them. Blessed be this mother. Blessed be her son. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In the name of your God, thank you. Mother! Mother, my eyes! They hurt! Mother! That over there. I see nothing. Only the sunlight streaming through. My son. He sees. Look. He goes to the window. Mother. This warmth I feel on my face. Is that the sunlight you've always told me about? Is this the day that's different than the night? This is the light. This is the work of God at the beginning of the world. His Son is the light of the world. Give us the light, the light of the world. Baptize us. Let me be first. Please. Water. Give us the light. Woman, hold the bowl. Now pour it for me over this man's head. I baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And many of the prisoners begged for and received baptism. When the soldiers saw Serena coming from the prison and not leading her son, as when she went in, they were amazed and frightened. And they hastened to tell what had happened to Venustian. At first he refused to believe it. But when he investigated and found the widow's son had been blind from birth, he was convinced. And strangely enough, he was no longer fearful. I should be more afraid now, but somehow I'm not. Can it be that my desire to believe... No, no. My belief in the power of this Christian God is driving out all fear. A mortal man can't accomplish such an act unless... unless he's favored by a divine power. In all our history, there's no record of a priest of Jupiter curing a man of blindness. I must see Sabinus at once. When they took me from prison, I assumed I was going to my death for Houston. Instead, they brought me to your private room. I sent that blind boy to you as a test. Sabinus, my eyes have been afflicted. I wanted to prove to all that you couldn't cure blindness. 
I blessed the mother and her boy. God effected the cure. Whether he would see fit to do so in your case... I didn't bring you here to cure me of my affliction. What I ask is a simple thing. One that you've done many times. What do you wish? Give me the water of life. Baptize me as you did those men in prison. You're aware of the meaning of this sacrament. It cleanses man from original and actual sin and makes him a child of God and a member of his church. Here. A bowl of water is at hand. You will have to hold it for me. Pour it slowly over your head. I baptize thee in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Venustian and his wife and children accepted Christianity and were eventually executed. Sabinus was beaten to death at Spoleto and buried a mile from that city. He was one of the many known martyrs. The unknown numbered hundreds of thousands. The sacred books were burned, the churches destroyed, the faithful tortured to death, but Christianity spread. Listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour, brought to you by the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. For over 110 years, the Friars have devoted themselves to fulfilling St. Francis' prayer, to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. We work for Christian unity and interreligious understanding. We provide respite at our retreat center at Greymoor. For those in need of spiritual renewal, we staff parishes throughout the world, serve as chaplains for colleges, hospitals, and prisons. We care for the ill through hospice work, ministry to those with HIV-AIDS. We also shelter the homeless and provide treatment and services for those suffering from alcoholism and drug addiction. If you would like to be included in our prayer list, participate in special St. Anthony Novenas, and or visit St. Anthony Shrine Graymore. Attend a retreat, learn more about our Ave Maria Hour productions, or simply make a donation to assist us in fulfilling St. Francis' prayer to help those in need. Please visit our website at atonementfriars.org or email me at avemaria at atonementfriars.org. You can write to me, Father Bob, Friars of the Atonement Graymore. Post Office Box 300, Garrison, New York, 10524. And so, in closing, I ask for the blessing of God upon you and those you love. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he look upon you with kindness and give you his peace. Amen.